Hello, TTB community, and welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. Joining me today is the incredibly influential Elliot Chibley. Thank you, Bob. I am not an influencer, but I still appreciate you. You know, I I think that you have heavy influence on the people that you directly have have direct relationships with you influenced me in a lot of ways uh good and bad so thank you oh, and well, uh, i don't I know I don't, I don't want to know what the bad is but thank yeah. you <laughs> yeah. today's guest is cheryl Engelhart. she is a composer and songwriter she has toured all over the world has had music in over 40 tv shows and commercials and has performed on stage with sting as you'll find out and this episode is all about her most recent album the passenger which is entirely written and composed and produced on the train it is awesome you will learn all about it in our conversation i don't want to reveal too much but it is so interesting travel tip of the week keep in touch with family and friends but not too much uh you can do i i always find postcards a lot of fun if you're there for more than a week or so Mm because it's tangible you get it in the mail it's cool nobody gets things in the mail anymore that they actually want to read and you can always email text do a phone call or even zoom so lastly, please consider some of the cool travel products that we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page, and once you download it, you have it forever, and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better. To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be plan efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first-class seat for your next adventure. Yeah, and now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website, and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel roundtable discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. 
Cheryl, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Thank you so much. We are we are wonderfully excited to talk to you today about your experience and your your experiences in general on songwriting while traveling. And before we get into our, our show and discuss your your trip and all of the songs that you've written at, along your journey, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, I am uh, a full-time composer and musician. I've, um, I, I'm about to put out my seventh record. Uh, the first four were sort of pop singer-songwriter like Cheryl Crow. Linus Morissette. Um, I used to work at an advertising company, so I was responsible for making music that you hear when you're watching commercials. So um, there was a great, my favorite one ever was a Grumpy Cat commercial with Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, oh, that's was, amazing. Anytime I turned on the TV, it was on. It was so awesome. So, <laughs> you know, that, that sort of led me to the New York City music scene. Um, I decided I wanted to start playing my own songs, recording my own songs, um, played with a band, started touring with that band. One thing led to another. And I'm, you know, in Switzerland on train rides, like going from festivals to, you know, little gigs here and there. And I just really found that music is the thing that got me around the world and and showed me things especially i'm not i'm not i wasn't someone who had the travel bug so i thought music was sort of my access to that um i now i sort of shifted out of touring to um more of a composer for films i got a couple featured films that i wrote the music for and that led me to some other similar projects where it just really made more sense to be home in a studio where you, you need a lot of gear and sending big files. It's really hard to send movie files over a moving train. Um, <laughs> and one thing led to another and I ended up starting working with social justice choirs and meditation apps and really discovering that I, I love writing music of impact that has an experience for the listener. And that sort of ended up uh, where we are today We're about to release this, this seventh record, which is in the new age ambient space. And mm -hmm. it was written on a cross country train trip. Wow. So, all right, you've done you've done quite a bit, and I got to say, this is so. I've been wanting to have someone on to discuss their experiences on you know songwriting with music and how travel has impacted their music and how music has impacted their travel for a very long time. So I'm very excited for this conversation. I'm excited that you're excited. <laughs> so I guess you you've given us a little bit of background on how this train journey started, uh, what was the actual physical impetus that said, you said, I'm going to do this train trip and I'm going to write a song or an, a new album? Yeah. Um, well, what, what actually started it was, um, an off the cuff, sarcastic remark out of anger. Specifically, I was looking for plane tickets to fly from New York to Los Angeles to attend the Grammys. I'm a, a member of the Recording Academy. Um, this is uh, probably late November of 2021. And I was looking at the prices. I'm like, the prices to get out west are ridiculous. I was like, I should just take a train. And then I was like, hmm, what's that thought? And hence the rabbit hole. And I love trains. Like I said, I, I've, you know, toured on trains before. I live near a train that gets me into New York City um, along the Hudson River. I just, I, it's one of the few modes of transportation I don't get seasick on or motion sickness. Um, 
So I, I went down this rabbit hole of what does it look like to spend over, I'd never spent overnight in a train and it's a whole thing. I learned about Amtrak and how the company got started and like what it means and their paths and all the different, and I just got super dorky about it. I was a biology major in college. I was supposed to go into marine biology. So I have this like research dorky um, part that like shows itself in funny ways. And I think it came out really strong during researching this project. So I booked a train trip across country, um, probably mid-December. I I got on the phone with someone at Amtrak and I was like, I know I want to go through the Rocky Mountains. There's a bunch of different routes. Uh, I wanted to end up in a specific train station just outside LA so I could stay with my sister. I had all these you know, specifics that I want. I wanted a specific room. I got the floor plan for their sleeper cars so I could be in the quietest room with the least people walking by me. And the person on Amtrak, Letitia, I should write a song for her because she was like, no, no, you don't want room four. You want, you want 11. (laughs) Okay. I'm listening. Um, So that I booked that. And then probably uh, maybe just a couple days after booking the outbound trip, which is a total of five days, four nights, five days, I thought, what if I like tried to do my next project, which is not what I was thinking. I had just released a record in July of last year. It did really well, hit all the new age charts and sales charts and was close to getting a Grammy nomination, according to some inside people that told me that. And I was not thinking, okay, not time to do a new record. But I was like, what if I just tried to and do something very electronic, really got into the ambient part of new age. Um, when you think of new age, it's like, Enya. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of p- solo piano music. It's kind of like n- neoclassical meets kind of healing meditation music. It's a big new age is sort of like a big genre, and inside it is is an electronic field. But my new age music had always been a lot of vocals and and piano sounds. Like I would pluck piano strings and do. It was always very acoustic. Ooh. So this would be a total departure from how I normally had created music because I obviously couldn't bring a grand piano onto the train uh, <laughs> or, or record vocals for that matter in a way that, you know, I, I was used to. So um, yeah, the idea kind of just like percolated and came up and poof, and we're doing it. That's less, awesome. Less than a month later. <laughs> so how long was the actual trip? So the actual trip was, um, it was January 22nd to the 29th. I arrived in Los Angeles about 16 hours. In, so that's five days on the train. One night uh, I got into Sacramento at like midnight and the train left at or 10 o'clock later in the day. And the next train left in the morning. So I stayed in a hotel right near the train station that night. Um, so it was one night from New York to Chicago. You had to change trains in Chicago. And that's where all the out west, there are four different main ways to get out west. The super northern route, the through the Rockies, which is what I did. Then there's the Southwest Chief, which sort of goes through like New Mexico, Kansas. And then there's one that goes down to New Orleans and sort of cuts across the super southern. So wow. the, but they all change in Chicago. Um if you're coming the way that I came from New York. And um you have a layover, about six hour layover there. Then you have three days all the way to Sacramento, uh, or at least I did. And that's where I changed again. And then it's a 16 hour ride down to LA. So I got to LA really late the last night. Um, but by the time I got to Chicago, I was like, I had some low grade nausea because it's like a lot of movement, like after 19 oh, hours, yeah. I'm like, oof, this is going to be a trip. Um, and the second I got off the train, I felt like I should still be moving. It was a very <laughs> strange sensation. Like I had nausea at the train station because I was like, wait, what? But then it, it like, I was also exhausted because I, I was like, oh, sleeping, not a thing with like the horns going off every hour, you know, 
you know, it's just Every a lot. Crossing. It's just a very different environment. But by day two, I kind of got the swing of things. And there was something that was telling me, like, I had already written three of the tracks um, in the first 16 hours. I knew that the music was coming easily. I didn't feel like I needed time for the music, but I felt like I needed time for the experience. And so two days in, I canceled my flight home because the plan was to take the train, hang out with my sister a couple days, fly home. I canceled my flight and I booked the Southwest Chief, the shorter um, cross-country trip back. So it ended up, when you say how long was the trip, it was like part, two parts to that answer. It's, it was intended to be five days and it ended up being nine. Okay. So, uh, but the album was done by the time I arrived in Los Angeles in terms of composition. Uh, I had written and produced everything. I did not open my computer when I was in LA. I was really committed to having all of the pieces of this album created while I was on a train. So when I, on my way home is when I started editing and, um, you know, closing out some files. I had created 12 tracks and nine are actually on the album because three of them just didn't make the cut. Um, and so the way back was spent for editing. I had sent a couple tracks to a few collaborators who sang or played violin and they, you know, they did their parts and sent it back to me. And I sort of mushed those together on the train ride back. Oh, that's really cool. So the, the album is called The Passenger, correct? The Passenger, yep. All right. And that was released April 22nd. Yep. And I say was... At the time of the recording, it'll be, uh, it hasn't come out yet, but it will have come out by the time this is released. Oh my gosh. So we're in the future. This is amazing. So it came out, it hit number one on the Billboard New Age chart. Thank you everyone for ordering it on Amazon. Oh my gosh, you are the best. I love the future. I know. The future is great. And so can you speak to some of the individual tracks and how they related to your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first, the first track on the album called "The Beautiful Bridge." Well, I should say that <laughs> come January, early January, the Grammys got canceled. My whole re- reason for for going out to oh, LA no. in the first place, yeah, or they got moved to April first, second, third, first weekend in April. Uh, and in that same week, early January, my very dear friend and collaborator, who I wrote a musical with, passed away. Oh, no. cancer and is the first person that you know was my age who who died that I knew and my trip was meant to leave two weeks later so I sort of was in this debate of like all these things are canceling and all these huge emotions are coming up like should I go um so I, I obviously I did I decided to keep keep the ticket and it was actually the last conversation I had with him uh Kevin Archambault was his name was about this train trip and he was like that is so cool you're so adventurous like it was all this really positive beautiful energy um so a friend of mine Lily Hayden who has won a Grammy in New Age before and she's actually uh, by the time this comes out hopefully she will have won a second because she's nominated um she's an amazing violin player and she you know saw that I had posted a tribute to Kevin on Facebook and and called me and we had this really beautiful discussion about her experience with death, um, specifically with her mother, who is this beautiful human being and such a, a light for her. And she was talking about the, the beautiful bridge that we now have to the spiritual world because we have a connection to this person from our own world. And when she said the beautiful bridge, something like lit for me. So I like jotted down that phrase in my little notebook that I had for the record. Um, and I just kept grabbing little phrases like that that I would hear. And because the album was ambient, there's no lyrics, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's really easy to name a pop song when the chorus is like, love me, baby, love me. It's like, cool, <laughs> there's the title. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when it's ambient, it's kind of like, what is this emotion? Like it, the second you, you 
put an image in the title, like the listener is seeing that. And it's like, do I want to dictate that experience for them? Um, especially in a project where I, I want my experience to come through really organically so that they're having an experience, even if it's different than mine. Like mine was one of mourning and healing and, and rest, which was, I just needed to get away, but I was also so exhausted from the grieving and to be on a train where you could literally just lie down and watch the world go by at hundred miles an hour seemed like mm-hmm. the perfect best of both worlds. Um, so yeah, so that, that was, that track is really special. I think, um, it was one of the first ones that I wrote and was very raw. And then to have this violin on it, that kind of, you know, violin can tend to be that sort of morning sound. Uh, I, I mean, the violin Absolutely. is an amazing instrument. It can be a lot of things, but it just really, yeah. I mean, Lily just did an amazing job on that track. So yeah, I don't know what it is for me, but violin and a few other instruments really have that like emotional connection. And yeah. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the the tone that it is or just the way it sounds or the way it's played, but you don't necessarily get that with like certain other instruments. The piano yeah, the for tuba. me. <clears throat> the piano just the tuba, does it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the piano absolutely is is one that does it for me. Um yeah. So yeah, that's the first track. The second track's another one that was like really special. It was funny because when I was there, I wasn't sure what I was going to name when I was writing these songs, but I had to name the files I was writing them in. So I would name them the time of day that I wrote them, like Sunday breakfast, Saturday oh. sunset. Um, so, but I noticed that the morning ones, um, like Monday sunrise, were way more somber and melancholy. And I think it's because I would wake up from this spotty sleep and every time I close my eyes... I had a dream with Kevin in it and it was, it was very like, he was very much on the trip with me. And I could tell that those were like, so very raw. Um, the first couple tracks on the, on the album are those, and then they get lighter. And then there's definitely a lot of the, the scenery was like ridiculous, especially going through the Rocky mountains. There was like herds of elk running across the Colorado, oh, Colorado river right outside my window. Like just, you, you couldn't ask to be more part of a scenery. It was yeah. so remarkable. And that's definitely reflected in some of the tracks too. But, um, yeah. So one of the I was one of the things that I hear so every once in a while I'll watch either TV shows or movies with uh with subtitles on or captions and there will be uh like this if it's a really powerful image or if it's supposed to be soft and kind of somber they'll they'll say ethereal music playing. Yep. And and I kind of have this in my head that ethereal music is like it's a lot of chimes or like soft high pitched stuff that usually followed by or the visual is like light and halos. Yeah, it can be high pitched. It can also be drone music, more like grounding, um, sort of okay. like that yeah, also yeah. can be considered ethereal. Um I definitely have a full range uh on, on the album of like sort of higher pitched and, and lower pitched um some things sort of leave you hanging so you don't feel that resolution. Others, like I really did want it to feel like, okay, this is a grounding piece of music that's supposed to really make you feel safe. And that, you know, would resonate more that, that the impact uh, that I was going for really helps with the lower frequency. So yeah, ethereal, ethereal music. Yeah. I mean, there could be like harps or Mm -hmm. sort of synthesizer dreamscape kinds of sounds. Uh, That's what I would think when I, if I hear ethereal, which I could probably use that word to describe a lot of the music on this album. So the one thing that I wanted to ask as you're describing the Rocky mountains, um, 
maybe this is a good way for us to to get a get an idea of how you you know how do you turn the visual aspect of just seeing the Rocky Mountains or seeing a herd of elk into into music and I'm just you know the, the process is just completely foreign to me um yeah I, I yeah I, I, <laughs> how do you how how would you do it how do you decide what the sound is is it like the sensation that you get if, if a mountain is is overpowering with its with how big it is do you sort of visualize that and then turn that into music somehow yeah, I, it's really, it's a great question. It really is about like, how do you get inspired? How do you, you know, and it's part of me knew that I was sitting down for this project to be the first person to create an album on an Amtrak cross country train. And I was like, okay, we have to just do the work and sit down and do it, whether or not I was inspired. I was very lucky that I was inspired for a variety of reasons, big emotions, big scenery, big, like all of the things were showing up for me. Um, but when I, when we did go from Denver and we sort of climbed into the Rocky Mountains, I re I had to take my headphones off. I put my little keyboard that I was composing with and I closed my computer and just put it all away because I just wanted to be really present. I was like, this is so unique. And I, I, when I saw that, that elk running across the frozen Colorado river, that was such a highlight. Just, uh, I mean, the, the train conductor got on and was like, everyone look to your, it was like a big thing, right? Like ever, it was very yeah. extraordinary. Um, I mean, and, and you just see like the snow and the, it's all of the things. And it was, I had tears. Like I really was like, Oh my, I mean, I was an emotional basket case anyway, but I, it was definitely like the awe inspiring landscapes that you hope to see when you go on a trip like that. So I was like, I'm not going to try to force this into music. I'm just going to like feel big stuff and hope that that comes through mm -hmm. um so that's kind of like what i what i did then like i wasn't so like i need to capture this musically and like what does this look like and i need the listener to know that this is elk on the colorado river like i <laughs> i didn't need them to know anything i didn't need them to know that i'm you know was grieving a best friend i didn't know need them to know anything i just wanted them to have an experience and so i really started and this has been my process for years is to really trust myself and trust my composing process that i'm going to channel whatever i need to channel so that my experience translate to theirs even if they're very different and and have nothing to do with elk or grief or whatever um but to answer your question about how do i choose sounds uh i was very like I said, I really wanted the whole process to happen on the train. So I did not pick sounds ahead of time. I downloaded a bunch of different libraries. And just so you know, the this is if you know music, then you, you'll know what I'm talking about. So you can like, you know, pause for a second. But I had a little teeny keyboard, which connected to my computer, and I could play on the I'm a piano player. So that's how I write my music. So I had this this little keyboard that's, you know, maybe a quarter of the size of a real piano that could fit in my backpack. And I could tell the computer, okay, I want this to be a harp sound, or I want, I'm going to play the piano, but I want it to be a trumpet or I, and I actually didn't really use um, traditional instruments. I was using sort of soundscapes and synthesizer built in sounds that I had downloaded from a bunch of different libraries. So I said, okay, I want this one to be the sound that's called, you know, cosmic earthquake or whatever they called the synthesizer. And I would, I basically on the, the trainer, I would like listen to sounds and I just kind of went through a trial and error of like, played something in. Nope. That's not the right sound. Nope. And then I kind of knew it when I heard it, which mm -hmm. feels like a little bit of a cop out, <laughs> but, um, that, that's sort of how I, I, I progressed. I had some sound effects that I put on like reverbs to make it sound like it was in the cave or something, you know, like I had tools and things to use once I had kind of composed the music, but yeah, it was a little bit of trial and error and just trusting the, the process. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. 
Are you are you familiar with the term synesthesia? Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you- I, I have, my best friend uh, used to really experience that, and I just did not. It's the colors uh, yeah. associated with. Words. Educate yeah, I don't. me. Educate yeah, so, me. So, so synesthesia is when you hear music, but you see shapes or colors. Yeah. And I think there you can have the reverse of that too, where um, you, like if you see letters or numbers, it's just basically you have a connection with something that is uh, visually represented or audibly represented differently. Yeah. Okay. Like letters. So a friend of mine that has it, um, like named her children based on the, cause she's like, I, oh, I can't use that name because it's all black. And like, it's just a very yeah. dark name. And I was like, really? I don't remember what the name is. Hopefully, it's, letter, hopefully like, it's not Bob Elliott or Cheryl. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, no, she, I think she told me mine was it had like a purple over, like, it's like when you each, if each letter has a color, this is the way she described it. It's like putting a bunch of crayons into a pot and then like melting them. And like the color that comes out, out, out of your letters is like the color. Yeah. Um, and there's like a, do- a dominating color. So I was like, okay, phew, so purple I can live with. Yeah. That is that is interesting, and I, I guess there needs to be uh, definitions assigned to each color beforehand, right? You need to get, to know what the color means. Yeah, I don't know, and there, there, yeah. I have seen this with with music too, and it's again, I'm I'm so like not a visual person to the point I can't even draw a stick figure like the so this is not my world at all. So I'm speaking just from what what I've heard or read about it, but it's um, it can definitely be a source of inspiration if you are like seeing a color that's going to translate to something, maybe, maybe even just a mode, like major or minor, meaning is this mm-hmm. going to be, are we using happy notes in this key or are they more sad notes? Um, and, and that makes a lot of, of sense to me, but beyond that, I'm not, yeah, I don't, that's, that does not play a part in my process. Although I, I think it would definitely be interesting and add another layer to it if, if, it, if it did. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting. So I do guided meditation and sometimes the guide, uh, will say something like, you know, um, focus on how you feel, however you feel in, in, in that moment. And then something along the, along the lines of like, see if you can assign a color to it. And yeah. it's, it's hard to do. Um, but I get it. Like I, 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 I do, I do it somehow, you know, even yeah. though I don't fully understand how I do it. It's just, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, energy is, is colors, like frequency, sound, all of these things, definitely they're interrelated. And I, I do guide in meditations and, and also lead them too, but not with colors because it's not my area of expertise. Yeah. But when I, when I do them, especially because the chakras, you know, energy centers in your body are associated traditionally with different colors of the rainbow. So I have, I have a little experience in, in translating that request, like find, find the energy, what color is it? Um, and it, it definitely is, it, it helps me if someone's dictating that. It's definitely not something I could extrapolate myself. Sure. Yeah. Um, so when you were describing the scene on the Colorado River, the frozen Colorado River with the elk, um, occasionally when I am driving, I am a very visual person. So for me, music almost always goes hand in hand with movies. And like the scores of movies usually helps me understand the music or helps me understand the movie and vice versa. The movie helps me understand the music. That's their job. So when I, every once in a while when I'm driving, um, even if I have the radio on or if I don't have the radio on, I will sometimes get this feeling of being in a movie or having this like coming to the end of the movie with it either being sunrise or sunset. Does that ever happen to you? Do you like visualize? or hear the music when you're seeing something. I definitely am like all about having a soundtrack 
for my life. Like, yeah. I am like, they wrote this song for me yeah. to score this scene in my life. And it's yeah. a little egocentric, but it's also super fun to like think that, you know, that, that that's supporting your story, right? Mm-hmm. The, the score of the film is designed to not take away from the storyline, but to enhance it, to help subtle moments, to even to when it's silent, there might be moments of like the silence in a score speaks just as loudly as the actual music. Um, So I think if you're, if you're a visual person, if you're an audio person, either way, like if you have (laughs) senses that you can use to enhance whatever experience you're in, then uh, I I absolutely love that. I mean, it's really fun for me to listen back to my record as I'm like walking the dogs or something and I'm listening to mixes and like a bald eagle flies over me during like the sweeping part of the song. And I'm just like, it's so perfect. You know, it just kind of, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it enhances that emotional experience. And if you're already in one and they kind of align, it just is kind of this, this kismet, you know, really synchronicity kind of thing happening, which is, it always feels a little bit magical. It does. It does. And I can say, so my wife is, is a huge music fan. She listens to so much. She is one of those individuals that can listen to like the first four measures of a song or even two beats of a song and know what it is. I, on the other hand, recognized the song, but I couldn't name who the band was or what the song title was. Um, but I know I took a trip and did a study abroad in Germany, and she like set up this iPod for me with a bunch of the different music that she thought I should should know and would like. And now, when I listen to the, some of those songs, still almost nine years later, I think, oh my god, I, I remember listening to this on this train while I was in this country, going to that place. And so it's very uh, situational, like a situational memory of like, oh my God, it brought me back here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I mean, there there have been a lot of studies on this. Um, I used to give talks on music and the importance in branding, even uh, like why companies, any video that they do should have music. Because after smell, smell is the number one Mm -hmm. memory sensory trigger sense. is sound. But I mean, if you smelled a, a perfume that your grandmother wore, even if she passed away decades ago and you smelled that, you'd be right back in her living room. The smell mm-hmm. sensories are incredible. Um, but for for hearing and for auditory cues like that, yeah, absolutely. You listen to song and suddenly you're back in a dorm room in college. Um, it has the same same effect. I mean, there there are even studies that go so far as like we we've as a culture, even if you don't know the music, you're influenced by music. For example, this is my favorite. There there are tons of studies out there, but a wine store, a bunch of wine stores did the study where when they played French music, customers were more likely to buy French wine, and then they would switch it and they would play German music, and then the buyer base went to German wine, which is like not even a thing, I feel like, but I guess it is. Um, wow. So there, there's this, and, and it's not that they knew the song or were having the same yeah. experience as you of like, oh, now I'm back in Germany. It was just, it's a cultural training that is embedded in us that we associate um, memories, experiences, et cetera, with smells and sounds in particular. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that I'm going to have my dad is my dad and uh, my wife and I are very much into wine. So I'll have to see if that has ever affected us when we go to the wine store. Yeah. I mean, try it out. Be like, all right, today we're going to listen to. I mean, well, it's hard to. I mean, now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're you're a tainted uh, study subject. (laughs) The double blind procedure can't continue. Unless you drink a lot of wine before you go and you forget. (laughs) It's a strategy. 
Cheryl, so early on, you mentioned that you were traveling around the world uh, for music. What are some of the things? No, so music is is one of those. It's there's it's so broad, right? And there's just so many different avenues to explore. Uh, what did you learn um, about the similarities between Switzerland, for example, and American music scenes, and how? I'm just curious. Were there? Were, I'm sure there were similarities, and then were there any major differences? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the biggest difference for Switzerland is that everyone smoked everywhere, and it was disgusting. That's, yeah, um, that's real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least when I was was touring there. But I mean, I, I, I honestly, I met a great singer songwriter named Baum, which uh, B A U M in in Switzerland, and I toured with him and another friend of his, and he opens for some really big people when they come through Switzerland, he's kind of like the Swiss guy. And it was really cool to tour with him and do some, some festivals and plan some big stages and just like drive around for, for three weeks. And, um, we, he did drive around, so that was not on a train, but I ended up meeting a lot of people and making connections with that tour that allowed me to come back on my own, um, both solo and with my band. And then we traveled exclusively by, by train, uh, it's so easy to get around Switzerland from city to city via train. I, you know, I'm, I'm learning more that it actually is in America too. It's just, we are so behind in the development of the train and Amtrak, um, is, you know, it's a government funded, it's a, it's a government <laughs> company. They came in 1971 to take over all of the failing private passenger train industry basically, because it was just declining. And so they came in and basically saved it. But it still doesn't mean that it's, um, you know, <laughs> on track <laughs> with what the European <laughs> train community have been doing yes. with their their train. So there is definitely an ease and sort of a there's it's definitely been normalized ease of travel there. Um, but musically, yeah, it's the same thing. You you play bar gigs and you know you hope people come out and then you get people to sign up for your mailing list and you know you stay in touch with them. I have people that are on my mailing list that saw me tour in Switzerland 10 years ago who are, you know, still around and like, okay, cool. You went from pop to new age. I'm here for it. And, uh, it's really cool to get emails from them. Like, I remember when I saw you at the, in Bern. And, um, so, so that was, that was very cool. And Switzerland is, is, you know, a lot of people speak a lot of different languages. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very easy to, to get around. It's different if you're, you know, performing or doing work in Israel or, you know, somewhere right. else, which I have, been to and did some work with a choir there so toured around israel and palestine and had very interesting experiences there so but all in all it's the music is the connector yeah people are there and seeing you and you're meeting people because of music is like the common ground and the common um language yeah so how how much has travel influenced your music creation i would it's so funny. I, now I would say probably more than I realized. Um, I mean, in 2019, I got into a composer residency where I thought I was going to write a lot of choral like, text for choral. I didn't realize that I had a music space. Um, and it was this tiny little mountain town in Greece. Um, you had to take like a three planes and a ferry and a goat to get there. And it was like this half abandoned little teeny little town no cars or anything and they're like and here's your room and it was this gorgeous stone cave with a grand piano in it. and i was like okay we're, we have to do a piano record and i had two weeks and i knew that i'd never be able to recreate the sound of the piano in the in that room the reverb and the echoes and things like that so i had to finish start and finish record do all of the things in that two weeks so that is the first indicator that i was given that i'm like oh i do well in small spaces and with a deadline which is mm-hmm. why i thought the train idea was not 
as many people told me it was crazy, it's not the craziest idea that I've ever had. Um, <laughs> so I had some evidence there. And I think that that, that environment, uh, just the room itself, not necessarily all the, although there, there were a lot of environmental factors that played into that, that album, that album was called Luminary. It was my first new age album that did really well. And I was like, okay, this environment is a big part of it. And to get to this environment, I had to do a lot of travel. Um, I had to only record at night because the cicadas on that island were so loud during the day that my microphone picked them up. And so the daytime was spent editing what I recorded the night before. And then in the day when the cicadas were out, I would just put my headphones on and sort of work with what I had created the night before. And then that night I would create something new and then rinse, repeat the next day. Um, I also was doing a lot of vocal stuff on that album, like very high, like, and like playing with the echoes. And at night, all of the stray dogs are out. So I would get like one of those in and then they would all be howling. And I was mildly offended, but then I would have to (laughs) wait like two minutes for them to stop. And then I'd like go, like try to do it again before they started barking. Um, So that was very, that music was very dictated, very much dictated by my surroundings. Bugs and canines. <laughs> that's quite funny. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So another thing that I'm, I'm really interested in, and this sort of ties into what we were saying with the trains and the difference in the train systems. So obviously Europe has built up their train system substantially. They sort of need it, right? The, the way their cities were developed prior to the automobile, they kind of, they were required to do it. The United States, uh, different story. Um, and we have this vast train system. We have a massive country to begin with, but this vast train system that really offers the opportunity to see a shift in development and landscapes and environments, right? So what did you observe as you drove from the the most densely populated city in the United States to, I don't know, like the second most densely populated to the United States city in the United States, but in between, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you had this, this, everything, everything, right? You had mountains, you had the plains. Yeah. You have the Rockies, you have all of these these different environments. So what an experience that that is for someone to have, because again, if you're in Switzerland, it's sort of the same environment. Italy, it changes, right? If you go from Venice to, to uh, mm-hmm. Naples, it changes, it changes, but not as great as the United States. So what did you learn about the cultural geography of our country? It's, it is definitely, definitely drastic. I mean, and I've driven cross country, I've done, you know, I toured all over the country. So I, I know America well, I'd already been to all the States. Like I've definitely like, but this was so different to see it so quickly go from Chicago city, suburb, cornfields, yeah. nothing. And then like little shanty towns along the railroad and then um, Denver, boom. Then you see the mountains way in the distance. You're like, oh, that's pretty. And you're like, people are taking pictures. And then it's like, boom, then you're in the mountains. You go through 47 tunnels to get through the Rocky Mountains, like oh. tunnel, 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 tunnel. And, and then you're like literally looking out your train window and there's a cliff down to the river there are hot springs we got mooned by some dudes that were down in the hot springs in the colorado river which was cute i guess Um, (laughs) and you know it's just it's so it was so fast and then and then you're in you know sacramento and there's palm trees (laughs) it's like wait what's happening how did how did i what 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 and then the beach on the way down to los angeles and it was just you know, it, it was all just so it felt like it was immediate, but it wasn't. It was it was gradual enough that it all made sense. And you're like, OK, I, I get it. I see it. But, you know, and coming home, uh, going through Arizona before we got to Kansas, there, you're seeing these sort of 
red rocks in the in the background you know way in the distance and and that was cool the desert is desert is cool to me but um it did not feel like i was in the scenery like a part of it the way i was going out west when yeah. i was coming back east it felt like i was like oh there's cool scenery over there like i was observe a much more of an observer on the way home than i was uh i mean i was observer both trips but just to see that on the way home, I'm really glad I did that because there was there wasn't really desert uh, when you take the the route from Chicago to Sacramento, right? You're going plains, foothills, Rocky Mountains, you know, and then you're at the coast. Um, so yeah, to see the desert, Los Angeles go from you know Los Angeles to the suburbs to the absolute just desert where you can't see a vehicle or anything for miles, um, and then back into the the plains and then sort of suburbia into chicago again it's kind of it's just it all made sense in a very strange mm -hmm. way but it, it is so vast and, and big that it was just it was very cool to kind of see it all in one sitting yeah that's yeah that has to be awesome so i've driven around the united states multiple times and i've been to m most of the states uh and one thing that i've learned yeah the, the environment changes but then at the same time it's sort of repetitive, right? Like it's the same yeah. sort of scenes, just in new environments. It's the city, the suburbs, the agricultural plots. And, and then it almost, once you get out West, it's like nothing. And you're in the right. same state for hours. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. and it, it's, it's sort of mind boggling how long you can be in one state still driving, especially if you're, I guess, if you're not from, if you're from the East coast, it's, it's crazy. I live in New Jersey where it's a very small state. So right. uh, five hours in the car and I'm far away. Right. Whereas five hours in New Mexico, you're still in New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or California. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, what is interesting, my favorite scenery is where, is where there's something drastic. Like there's a lake, like, like the Tetons, right? You have Jenny mm -hmm. Lake goes right up to the Grand Teton. And um, like that juxtaposition of something like so flat and calm with the big jutting mountains. I think that's why I love Switzerland um, and the Alps and just going from like little cities to just beautiful countrysides, rolling hillsides, just everything is so beautiful. It's why I love like Central Park in New York City. It's this, the, the two, right? The, the nature and the city, the man-made and the, um, so in, I think, you know, going across the country, you don't get quite the extremes, right? I mean, other than when you got into the, the Rockies, because it's just like, it's just massive, right? Um, but when you have the plains and the towns and the cities, you're just like, okay, this is just, this is just the country. This is just the, this is the Middle East or the Middle East. The, this yeah. is the, the middle of America. This is where, where we're, um, where we're coming from when we're coming from the East, um, so it, it felt like a little less extreme. Um, not that it wasn't extraordinary still, but it was kind of like, yeah, this we're here again. This is, this is, this is that. <laughs> There's like a normalcy to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty unique that you get to do that all within the same country. Um, yeah. You know, so, so now that you have this experience behind you and you had the opportunity to make music from it and reflect on it. Is there anything that you maybe would, would do differently or plan on doing differently for next time? Anything you've learned? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I think I, I really saved myself um, by calling to get my ticket and to learn about the rooms. And I, I mean, the room that I would have booked on my own was on the top floor. Cause I thought that would have been cool for better views or something like that. Um, and, and apparently the, 
the bathroom was on the next car, but people from the previous car would be walking on, on the second floor, the, the top floor, past your room. Um, and it's also where the family rooms were. So you'd have like, if there were any kids that like, it just would have been a lot more traffic versus the room I got, which is on the first floor, which also apparently is a little less movement. Um, so for anyone that gets slightly motion sickness, like having a lower sleeping on the lower bunk in the lower, uh, uh, floor is better. And I was right next to the luggage, which felt really good because I could just go out easily. I I had a whole duffel bag just for making my room an oasis. Like I brought throw pillows (laughs) and blankets. Amtrak has a little video that they share every once in a while on their Instagram of someone like doing a snap and like turning their, um, their little roomette into like there's pink blankets and candles and stuff. And I was like, game on. So I, I ended up doing <laughs> the exact same thing with the snap and they posted it. I was very excited, but I had a whole <laughs> duffel bag just for that stuff. Like, um, and I wanted it to be near, but there's no room in your little room to put luggage. So I was grateful to have that. And also on the smoke stops or the fresh air stops, whichever one you're doing, every time I could get out, I would wash my window because it was on the first uh. floor. So I had no streaks and they get dirty. Like there's, water and mud and all sorts of stuff and i mean i got all the jokes of like come do mine and are they paying you for this but i was like my pictures are gonna be better than your picture <laughs> yeah right um so but you asked me what i would do differently those are things i would do again um i don't know i did it i did a pretty good job um, sounds like you planned really well yeah. which we we promote on the podcast you created your own traveler's blueprint you could say for this trip <laughs> I kind of did. I, I definitely, I mean, I took a lot of video. There's uh, the making of video on my website um, in the future. Excellent. And, um, and right so now. you can sort of <laughs> see the whole process of writing. And uh, I took a lot of very good videos from my window, my clean window, <laughs> <laughs> um, with the intention of making making this little sort of short film on, on what the whole process and experience was. I, as I was sharing on Instagram, like throughout the whole trip, I had so many fans being like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, I've never considered this. So I ran a poll. I was like, who's now considering doing an overnight trip on a train and had never thought of it before. And it was like 98% of the people said yes. Like hundreds of people were like, yes. And I wanted to be like, Amtrak, you should be paying me. Yeah, Um, seriously. (laughs) Now you're, now you're a travel influencer. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, so one of my coworkers, he he will not fly to Florida. He usually takes the train, and it's usually a two night or a, a single night trip, and he loves it. It's like his favorite thing to do, and I think he does it almost every year. I I totally get it. Uh, I'm I'm curious. I definitely want to do it again. Uh, I want to do a different time of year. I want to do different routes. I am curious and mildly nervous about doing it in summertime. Like, does the air condition ever kick out? Like, mm. being in a tiny little room with heat is is a little nerve wracking. But I I want to do the most northern route um, that goes through Glacier National Park. Apparently, they time oh. it so that you're in day, daylight when you go through the, you know, the most beautiful scenery of that trip. So that, I think that would be really interesting, but yeah, going, um, North South on one of the North South routes, the, I, I know they have the Eastern corridor, uh, mm-hmm. that would be interesting as well. And they also Amtrak owns, especially, uh, they own most of their tracks in the Northeast corridor where they operate. But once you get past Chicago out West, they don't own the tracks there. Uh, most of them, they're at the mercy of the freight trains and the freight companies. So they get the right away. So there were a couple times and I was not worried about delays. I was like, cool, longer time on the train to write. But, um, there were just, you know, slight delays and you can see that we were waiting for a huge freight train with you know the oil barrels and big box cars of whatever they're carrying Mm. um but so i think there there might be difference in timing and whatnot 
depending on which leg you're on. Mm-hmm. And is is cost fairly comparable to like a plane ticket? Or is well, it cheaper? It's comparable if you think about a plane ticket plus overnight costs plus your meals because your meals come with breakfast, lunch, dinner, and like all day coffee come with your train Ooh. ticket. So, um, you know, just to, I was looking at train uh, plane tickets to fly out and it, they were like $600, $700, which is expensive to go from New York to Los Angeles. Um, my trip uh, westbound outbound was 1500 for the five days. Okay. So yeah. like, yes, more and it's expensive, but, uh, so I had a roomette, they call them roomettes and that's, um, like you, you walk into this room, it's kind of like Harry Potter style when they're in the train and they're looking at, you can sit and look at someone and then an attendant comes in at night and turns that into the bed. And there's also a bunk bed. So you could technically okay. have two people sleeping in there. I think it would be really tight. I thought I would love the bunk bed, but I ended up sleeping much better on the, the lower bunk for the reasons I mentioned earlier. I think, you know, the less movement and it's also a little wider, I think. So I just ended up, I, I just kept the the bed made and would just like sit up with pillows and like sit like you're sitting on a bed and yeah. and then I could have the bunk bed folded up so I had a lot of more like headroom and it felt a little bit more spacious. Okay. Um, there also have bedrooms which can fit. Um, I still think it's two people, but you get you have your own bathroom inside the bedroom, Ooh, which is interesting. Nice. Um, some of the trains I had my own sink. Uh, they used to have your own toilet, but uh, in the roomettes, but they don't anymore. One of my attendants was very upset about that. He thought that we should all have toilets, but um, <laughs> and then they also have family rooms, which is for, for up to four people. And those, uh, and I took a peek at all of them. They're definitely bigger, and they have the same sort of folding, you know, seats turned into beds, sort of thing. So those are all different prices. So the roomette. After you get it, you can also just get a coach seat if you wanted to, which is much less expensive. And yeah. they always run deals on those. But I cannot sleep unless I am 100% horizontal. So that was definitely not an I'm option. with you. Um, also, being around a lot of other people. Also, not the point of this. This tra- I would have loved to con- connect with a lot more travelers. I know that's something people say a lot about train travel is that you just meet so many different people. It's different walks of life. Um First of all, it was like in the peak of COVID. Um, yeah. So that was not interesting. They would bring meals to you if you wanted when the dining car got too crowded. Um, so I opted in for that fairly often, although the amount of trash that it creates is like criminal. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting. It, this definitely was not the trip for me to like putting be putting energy out. Like I had very little bandwidth uh, just emotionally. So I was pretty much like headphones on, yep. <laughs> keyboard, you know, computer open, keyboard out. Uh and hung out in some observation cars, which are, you know, sort of full glass. Uh, oh, those are awesome. Cool. And then the dining cars, uh, which are only accessible for people on the sleeper cars, okay. uh, were also pretty cool until they, they got a little busy for a couple of legs. But um, most of the time they were pretty mellow. Nice. So I have one last question for you. Um, are you familiar with the term frisson? Frisson? Yeah. Frisson, so frisson is the... A uh, phenomenon where you get chills or goosebumps that come from a piece of music. Oh, okay. So I've I that happens to me every once in a while, and I didn't realize there was a term for it until a few years ago. Hmm. And so does that does that happen to you? And I've noticed when it does happen for me, it is usually in conjunction with something else that is happening, either like in a movie or I'm listening to something that, and something else is like powerful is going on. 
Yeah. Um, I love that there's an, a word for that. Absolutely. And it, it, it does happen for me. And I, I definitely try to write music everyone once in a while that would uh, bring that on for the listener. And I think you're right. It does happen with something else. Like the reason why it might give a listener goosebumps is because it brings up some emotion that has needed to come out or something for them. Yeah. Um, but that would be, yeah, that that's definitely a, a goal every once in a while. I can't do it every piece for sure, but hopefully there's, there's one or two things out there that have, have done that. Yeah. And we still like, uh, researchers still don't know why exactly it happens, which is I think kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely cool. Yeah. Yeah, never heard that term. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl, uh, before we wrap up, let us know where people can download your music and where what are your websites, your social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, you can go to cbemusic.com. That has all of the things. Um, and CBE Music is my Facebook page. That's my Instagram. I, I'm definitely more active on Instagram. And on Twitter, I'm CBE, which is a fun thing. A lot of people think I'm an airport. But um so yeah, cbemusic.com. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And follow on Instagram. I'm, I am super active there and, and love to set, kind of touch base with people in real life. Awesome. Now, before you let <laughs> you go, are you ready for the rapid fire round that we do not tell you about until you right did now? not tell me about this, but no, okay. Yeah, yeah. I had coffee today. I'm ready. Give it to me. All right. Yeah. Uh, get I'll get, get started. started. Okay. Cheryl. So what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Trains. Good. All right. Uh, what sense. what travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Big Magic, but not a travel book. So right. I, I haven't heard of that. Um, Big Magic is oh my gosh! I can't believe the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. I am oh my god! I am. You're gonna have to like edit this. It's the, brain, it's the pressure. It's the pressure. Brain fart out. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh my God. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote E Pray Love and she also wrote Big Magic. So maybe that's why Big Magic came to mind because E Pray Love is such a travel book. Um, okay. And I definitely found myself E Pray Loving across the country to like healing and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but Big Magic is her uh, nonfiction and it's really about taking the pressure off of your art and letting yourself create. It's a creator's book. And for some reason, that that whole like, trusting the process, going with the flow. I mean, the reason this album is called The Passenger, it was my word of the year that I chose in January. And it really is a reminder for me to stop trying to force things and to go with the flow and let go of control. And if you imagine just like someone who is a master passenger, what do they look like? They are leaning back. They are trusting the driver of the train. They are... um, there's a lot of confidence, trust, and just kind of grace. And so I think that that, that book opened up a lot for me regarding creating from a flow place. I like that a lot. Not a travel book, though. Very yeah, strange that that no. came to mind. But, you know, you asked. That's all right. Elliot, you're next, right? No, no, that's, that's you. Be me. Uh, describe your perfect travel experience. <laughs> My perfect travel experience. Hmm. I think there would be a, a, a good amount of variety of scenery. I think that there would be good company, and that can mean just me. I am good company with myself. Um, I would have enough time to feel like I was able to really take care of myself. And uh, I would have some good wine. Well said. Yes, I, I agree, agree with that. that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
Number four, tell us one thing travelers should not do. Travelers should not be assholes to anyone serving them anywhere. Solid. Yeah. Should not That's do good it. advice. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, wow, what is one piece of advice you would give to yourself 10 years ago? One piece of advice to give myself 10 years ago. That's a good one. Um, don't be afraid to keep the boundaries. I was always really good at setting boundaries. Like saying, okay, these are the rules. I'm not calling you after this time. But actually keeping them, like people won't leave you if you keep your boundaries. And I think that can apply to from strangers to spouses to family to work people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Keep, that, keep your boundaries. Sound like nice. Scaredy cat that people are going to take off if you do. Yeah. Sound right. nice. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. This was an awesome conversation. It was very unique for us. A, a, a new spin for travel. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for letting me share about this. I hope everyone enjoys the record. And I, I, this is super fun to chat about all this stuff with you guys. All right. Thank you very much. I have been waiting to do a conversation like this for three years, and we finally have had one. This was so enthralling. And the album is going to be in incredible, right? I'm, I'm really excited to listen to it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, the idea was awesome. So she actually reached out to us. And as soon as I read her email, it, it didn't, it took me less than a minute to respond and say, of course, yeah, please, we, we want you to come on the show. Uh, music is all about pulling inspiration from real life experiences, right? And so to be able to do it with travel through the United States on the train, like there's just something incredibly romantic about the idea of, of composing music while looking out of a window at the, the American landscape. It's just, it's awesome. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Really happy to have met her. Yeah, and after that conversation, I experienced frisson. I don't know if it's a verb or an adjective or a noun. Mm, kid, how? What was your experience like? Well, we were Amanda and I were watching a movie, and there was just really intense music and an intense scene, and I got that, like, the goosebumps from the music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to help support us and you've listened before... Just do what I've told you previously. If, you, if this is your first time listening, then what you can do is like, subscribe, share, and rate us. It helps us a ton with the algorithms. It helps us grow. If you have the ability and are willing to support us in a financial way, you can click the link where you could buy us, a, buy us a coffee. The link is in the show notes, and it's on our Instagram page. You can contribute as little as $1, and it goes to helping create the show. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Stay health healthy, stay safe, and tune in next week.